the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and this is the Monday edition of the radio show. Let me remind you, Pastor Ron and Paula are on uh, on vacation, so they are enjoying their time there in the California sun. They send their love, and they miss you guys dearly, but they'll be back here. Uh, He'll be back here teaching at Calvary Chapel this Sunday, uh, and then returning here on the air uh, on Tuesday, because I believe that we've got a holiday on Monday. So, he'll be live back on the air Tuesday. Now, our show continues as usual. So, it's the Monday edition. Let me start off by giving you the phone numbers. That's 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number. 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. There's an email address if you want to submit questions that way, and the email is questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. Submit it there. It'll go right to our in- email inbox, and then we can ask the question on the air. We also have a church app. The Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app has got a feature there where you can submit your question, type it out, and then once you submit it, it'll go right to our email inbox as well. Whatever is easiest for you. Better for you to call, ask your question on the air. Oh, you can also use the KSLR app there while listening. You can click that banner up on top and it'll connect you to the radio station. You can ask your question on the air. Well, it's Monday. I said that already. Let me uh, just do a quick recap. I love what Pastor Ron does on Mondays, and I, I'll do the same thing. I won't give a Bible study, but I pray that as you went to church this weekend and in your body, wherever you were at yesterday, that the Word of God was taught, that the Holy Spirit was moving on hearts, and that people got saved, and that Christians who are already saved would be would commit themselves back if they've drifted away. I mean that's why we do what we do. So I pray that that's exactly what happened at your church. Here at Calvary Chapel, we had really a, a pretty challenging study. It's a passage of scripture there at the very end of Jesus's discourse on the Sermon of the Mount. And at the very end there in chapter 7, we, we talked about, uh, there from verses 15 to 29, the, the fruit inspection, the trees, the, the bad tree can only bear bad fruit, and a good tree can only bear good fruit. And we talked about fruit inspection as it, com- as it pertains to false teachers and as it pertains to our life. And this is one of the things that really stood out to me. It's almost as if I could see visibly. Now, I can't see anything. I didn't see anything. 
but I could see people wrestling with the Holy Spirit, if that makes sense. Just some discomfort, but also some encouragement. And that's a good thing. That's all we want. When we teach the Bible, we want the Holy Spirit to have the opportunity to reach people's hearts. And again, that's exactly what happened here. So I hope that happened at your church too. Well, let's go on to our questions. We don't have anybody on the phone lines yet. Still early. You have some time. We do have a few questions that were submitted, so I'll just get right to them. The first one is from James. Uh, James says, I know I shouldn't be in my feelings, but the negative thoughts are too much sometimes. Then add everyone else around me. I know I belong to Jesus, but what can I do to help myself? Everyone says, just talk to Jesus, and I do, but it doesn't seem to work. Okay, James, and this is something that's very important, so I hope you're listening carefully. James, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, and it doesn't even matter what what you say or what you think. If you really are a born-again Christian, the highest seat of authority, the most important thing in your heart and in your life and in your mind should be Jesus, specifically what Jesus says about you, what Jesus says about him. And your question seems to imply that you're listening to a whole bunch of things around you, but you're not listening to the only one who can help you. And you say, I I know I belong to Jesus, but what can I do to help myself? You need to open your Bible, and you need to read what it says, and and do what it says. And the Bible says that the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. And so... If you really are a born-again Christian, that means the Spirit of God lives in you. And the Spirit of God will help you understand what the Word of God says. And then there's, and it's not magic, but it's, it's the power of God's Spirit that takes these words and makes them come alive in your life. So when you say you shouldn't be in your feelings, and you know that you shouldn't be in your feelings... But you imply that it's sometimes too hard or, or too much that you can't help but be in your feelings. That doesn't make any sense at all. If you know your feelings are leading you astray, then don't let them control you. If you know the Word of God is going to lead you to Jesus, then let the Word of God control you. And, and I hope this is crystal clear, because my flesh, your flesh, we, we all have this built in, and I think I mentioned this last week, like magnet to sin. We want to be in our feelings. We want to voice our opinion, and we want to do all the things that please the flesh. But if you do that, you're going to feel worse you're going to be worse. But if you go the opposite direction, which is set your feelings aside, I mean, feelings are real. But when your feelings are not being controlled by the Holy Spirit, then then you know your feelings are not trustworthy. Go to the one who is. And the way you do that is by opening your Bible. I've talked to some people, James, who in a similar situation have said things like, well, I, you know, I open my Bible and I pray, but nothing happens. And you said this at the end of your question here. Everyone says, talk to Jesus, and I do, but it doesn't seem to work. This is the second thing about your question. Let me finish my thought. But when you open your Bible and you're not understanding what it says, keep going. You don't need to break down every word and you don't need to, you know, I- interpret every phrase. Read it at face value. And as you read it, sort of like you read a love letter from God, 
you go through it over and over and over again, you'll begin to understand what it means because it'll be the Holy Spirit. It doesn't depend on your 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 cognitive abilities. It doesn't depend on your reading comprehension skills. It depends upon the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of your heart and you'll see and you'll hear exactly what God's heart is towards you through his word. And what happens is as you do that, you care less and less about what people think and you care more and more about what Jesus says. It's a win-win, James. Now to the last part of your question, when you say it doesn't work, it doesn't seem to work. Well, remember, when you're talking to Jesus, this is prayer. Prayer is just communicating with Jesus. But we're not reading off a grocery list of, of complaints. Or we're not reading off a list of things that we need done. We're not just reciting things. We're talking and listening. And talking and listening. We're not listening for an audible voice. You know that's not what I mean. But we're listening for him to speak to our hearts. This is what the Bible says in the letter of Ephesians. Paul's, Paul writes that God speaks to us and we speak to God through our hearts. We make music and melody as we sing songs from our hearts to God. And all that means is that this communication that you have with Jesus throughout the day is going to make him the closest person to you. So you'll value what he says over what anybody else says. But if you keep your ears closer to somebody else's voice, if you keep your ears close to a therapist's voice or a friend's voice or somebody who a relative who wants to offer you some advice. None of these things will help. They may make you feel good for a little bit, but none of these things help. So the point of prayer isn't to get Jesus to do what we want him to do. When you say it doesn't seem to work, that seems to be the implication that you're conveying, and that's to miss the whole point. When you pray... The goal of prayer isn't so that you can get God to do something like he's a, a genie or, or a slave. No, the, the goal of prayer is to make sure your heart is aligned with God's. And if there is something wrong in your heart, by, by aligning your heart with Jesus' heart, he identifies these things. And that's what you need to do. So, James, open your Bible. If you don't know where to read, um, start with Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's a wonderful, wonderful letter, a short one that starts off with some of the most encouraging verses in all of the Bible. And, And start reading. Start reading and stop listening to everything else. Now, and remember this too. When you talk about negative thoughts, Paul writes to the Corinthians that we are to take forcefully, take our thoughts captive. What that means is this. When you have any other thoughts in your mind, you can't prevent thoughts from coming into your mind because we just think thoughts. But you can prevent yourself from entertaining these thoughts longer than you should. When you have an ungodly thought that you know you shouldn't be thinking about, well, don't dwell on it anymore. Take that thought captive to enforce it to the obedience of Christ. And by doing that, what will happen is you, you don't be in your feelings, but you exercise the gift of self-control, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
And so, James, uh, I don't want you to feel hopeless. And I don't want you to feel like you, you've got no help available. What can you do to help yourself? Run to Jesus. I do want you to feel like, and, and please listen to me, I, I do want you to feel like you're, you're, you're at the end of your rope because you, you've got no other options. Just Jesus. And I promise you, if you cry out to him, um, what you'll see is a, a, a Jesus who loves you so much that he's not looking at your performance. He's not disappointed in, um, you know, your church attendance. He's not uh, critical of uh, how many chapters you read or didn't read today. None of that. None of that. So I hope that helps, James. Uh, thank you for your question. This next question is from RJ. Why is Matthew seventeen twenty one missing from my Bible translation? Well, you know what? Let me quickly turn there. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, so I, uh, you're probably reading from the, one of the modern translations. So this is this, the story of uh, coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And remember that the disciples that were trying to cast out the, de- the demons uh, from this little boy, and he couldn't. They couldn't. And then Jesus comes down, and he said, This kind, and this is the verse that you quoted, Matthew seventeen twenty one. This kind does not go out except for prayer and fasting. In other words, your approach to doing spiritual things, in this case, casting out a demon, can't be done in the power of man. It has to be done by the power of God. Now, your question, why is verse 21 missing? Uh, it's a pretty simple answer. The, the modern translations, the NIV, the NLT... The, the ESV, they, they all use the same manuscript, which is the Alexandrian text, primarily the Alexandrian text. Now, the Alexandrian texts are older than the other option, which is the, the Textus Receptus, which is what the King James is based upon. Uh, there are some... There's no translation that's better than the other, uh, but the modern translators decided that the older one, the Alexandrian one, is is better to use. Uh, that doesn't always mean, that isn't always the case, but they have decided to use the Alexandrian older texts to use as the source manuscripts for their translation, which is fine. Uh, now, the difference between the two, the Textus Receptus and the Alexandrian uh, manuscripts, are very, very minuscule. And, and this is one of those cases. Mark chapter 16 is another one. Um, there are some verses that are uh, in the, the King James, the Textus Receptus manuscript, but they're not in the older one, the Alexandrian, and so therefore not included in uh, the modern translations. That doesn't change anything, though. I mean, in fact, most of the modern translations usually have a footnote where they say uh, verse 21 is here, this is what it says, and it's at the bottom. Uh, But like I said, it doesn't change anything. There is no contextual difference, no principal difference between reading from either manuscript, so the translations are not messed up in any way. But uh, it just goes to show that this isn't, this isn't something that they are manipulating along the way. They're staying true to the original manuscripts, and some verses uh, may appear in one and not the other. In this case, like I said, you're probably reading from a modern translation like the NIV, which doesn't have this verse. So, RJ, I hope that helps. 
We've got a question from Anonymous that has been submitted to the radio station. And it says this question. um, I'm a Christian that has recently started having body shakes, convulsions whenever I pray. What could be causing this? And is it normal? Uh, Anonymous, it's not normal. But I would say this. When it comes to prayer, what we need to do is focus on who we're praying to, who we're communicating with. Um, our surroundings, our, our, our posture, our physical posture and all that stuff doesn't matter. Is not important. Now, when you talk about having body shakes and convulsions, um, no, that's, that's not normal. But again, uh, what if, if these body shakes and convulsions happen only when you're praying and whenever, every single time that you're praying, then, yeah, there's definitely something going on that could be a distraction. Now, aside from there being any potential medical issues, uh, what I would do, what I would suggest, Anonymous, is that when you pray and don't stop praying, Don't let this discourage you or distract you. But focus less on what your body is doing and and focus in on who you're praying to. And by doing so, you'll pay less attention to your surroundings. You'll pay less attention to your body shakes. And if if that is the case, then um, it'll stop whenever you stop praying. But make no mistake about it. And what the enemy wants to do is use anything to distract us from praying. He's an opportunistic enemy. And so if we give him just a little bit, and that's enough to distract us from take, and take our eyes off of Jesus, he'll run with that. So I don't have an answer to what's going on without more information. Um, but if this only happens when you pray is probably spiritual. So ignore it and keep going. Now, obviously, if you know you, if it gets to the point to where it's out of control, and then you need to get some attention, some medical attention. But uh, this isn't something that should normally happen when you're praying, because God doesn't want any distractions when you pray. He just wants your eyes to be focused on Him. And so, Anonymous, I, I hope that helps. Um, yeah, the one quick note about this, and this is not your question, Anonymous, but one of the things that we, as Christians, can't be surprised at is spiritual warfare. Again, not implying that this is warfare that's going on, but this is definitely a potential distraction. And that's part of warfare. And and we can't be distracted by every single thing that's going on. We've got to do our best to mitigate all of the distractions and the sources of distraction uh, when we're focusing on the Lord, when we're praying, when we're reading our Bible. Yes. I mean, that's why one of the main reasons why we encourage people to take their kids that are sitting in the sanctuary into the class to where they can be taught the Bible at their level is because we want the parent focused in on the study. And sometimes parents, they just don't listen and they want to keep their kids. And what they're doing is they're volunteer, voluntarily saying, look, I, it's almost like intentional that they, do, they don't want to listen to the Bible study. They'd rather just say, hey, stop that. Hey, put that down. Put it this way. And all of those distractions take away from their ability to hear from God through the teaching of his word. Well, it's the same thing in prayer. And in this personal time of prayer, uh, don't focus on, don't even try to stop the shake or or do anything to try to stop it. Find a comfortable position where you can pray and then just pray and keep on praying. And and like I said, if, if you start to have some shakes or convulsions, again, uh, nothing that's going to be unsafe for you medically, but it, 
these things continue to happen, just keep praying. Um, and your attention will be less on your body and less on the things around you. Because, make no mistake, the enemy wants to distract us. Uh, we are inside, uh, just a couple of minutes actually, inside one minute now. One, th- one of the things that, that came to mind, Anonymous, uh, actually came from yesterday's Bible study. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with somebody at the end of the Bible study in one of the services and said, man, that was a really hard Bible study to listen to. And I, and I asked them, what do you mean? What, what was it hard? Said, well, it was kind of hard to listen to. That's all they kept on saying. And they were uh, distracted by things that in their mind wouldn't let them hear or listen to what was actually being said. Because these distractions are everywhere. We just got to do our best to mitigate them. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are done with the first half of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Word to Stand On for Life. This is the Monday edition. I hope you had a great time at church yesterday. Today, the show continues with Pastor Ron on vacation. I'm here to take your questions, questions about the Bible questions about putting the Word of God into practice in your life, anything we can do to help you fall in love with Jesus or deeper in love with Jesus. Quickly, let me give you the phone numbers, 210 That's the toll-free number, 877 The email is questions at calvarysa.com. Submit your questions that way, and we'll ask them on the air. Well, let's go right to our phone lines. We have Cindy from San Antonio. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you today? (laughs) Hi, Cindy. It's Pastor Ken. I know what you mean. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I was just on autopilot. <laughs> that's, that's okay, Cindy. Oh, boy. Well, it's just turning into a colander up here sometimes, I think. <laughs> well, I was calling because I had a very interesting dream a couple nights ago, and I wanted to share it. And I um, I dreamed, I looked up in the sky, and there was this massive amount of stars, like, like what you don't see anymore. They, they were just everywhere. And while I was looking and, you know, thinking, wow, this is so cool to see the stars again, it's like I knew that Jesus was behind them. It isn't that I saw him there and I didn't hear an audible voice, but I knew in my heart that he said, I'm on my way. And and he, he, he just said, I'm on my way. You know, he, he's on his way to come get us. And then that was the whole point of the dream was that Jesus said, you know, it started and I'm on my way. Well, now I've been thinking about this, about the stars for the past couple of days. And now when you look up in the sky, you don't see very many at all. But I know that those stars that I used to see, especially up in like northern California, in the middle of nowhere, you could look up there and you could see the Milky Way and you could see how thick it was. You just see stars everywhere. Mm-hmm. I know that when I'm looking up at the sky, that all those stars are still there, but the light of the world is blocking them out. And I kind of started to think about when we pray and, and when we're struggling and, and we keep praying for for help or, or for, you know, something that really needs to be taken care of, you know, our faith kind of wobbles. And it's like God is still there. Jesus is still there. And our faith is still there. It's just like the, the light of the world is kind of blocking mm-hmm. it out the way it blocks out, you know, a lot of the stars. Because if you go outside, you really don't see a lot of stars out there anymore. So that was right. the, the whole point of what I had. But I'm going to get off the phone. Okay, Pastor Cindy. Ken. 
<laughs> thank you for thank you for and, your call on the radio, and it's been a real delight to have you on on the radio. Thank Bye. you, Cindy. What a blessing! Bye. Uh, Cindy is somebody very near and dear to us here at the church for many, many, many years, and I find it, I take it as a compliment to call me Pastor Ron. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. So, I am not a dream interpreter, but I do agree with what you've said. You know, so some, a little bit of a backstory to this. I love the fact that you've mentioned the stars. Now, something May and I used to do way more often before that we haven't done as much lately uh, because of what you mentioned really it's just it, well number one it's just too hot for us this time of year but we used to walk around at night in in the cool of the night and and look at the stars walk the neighborhood and look at the stars we would we would turn our corner, walking through the neighborhood, following the same path, looking at the same stars and the same constellations and, and finding our marker where we go, same place every single time. <clears throat> and we had fun doing that. But there was a time when I, too, do remember that you could see a lot more of the stars. Now, some of it may be just the, the time of year and more clouds, but we don't do that anymore because when I look up, most of the time, I don't see as many stars. But to your point and to your thought about Jesus coming soon and the light shining brighter, I, I, I do believe that with all my heart, Cindy. Uh, maybe this is Jesus's way of saying he's coming soon. I hope it is. I hope it is. I really do. But we remember this, that the stars are given to us. So there's two parts to this. You know, the stars are given to us <clears throat> not to worship, but to look at and think about Jesus. It's a reminder for us that he's coming soon. It's also a reminder that he doesn't change. The stars, they look different based on the clouds and what's what, you know, what visibility levels are out there at nighttime, <clears throat> depending on. If there's pollution in the air and depending on what part of the country you're in, so many variables that can affect our visibility. But the one thing we know with absolute certainty is that whether or not we can see the stars, they're there. They're there. And Jesus gives us the stars as a reminder that he's there. Now, we can't see him. But remember what... Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who can't see and still believe. Because Thomas said, I see you and I believe. Well, there are times when the stars are going to be a little bit more visible. And we can look out to them and, and, and let them remind us of Jesus' promise to us that he's coming for us soon. But there will also be times where we can't see the stars as well. But we know and cling to the certainty that the stars are there and that Jesus is there, that he keeps his promise. And so, Cindy, I, I hope that helps, too. One of the other things that this reminds me of, other than ob the obvious star that led to um, the, 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 the Magi to Jesus's birth, is his promise, God's promise to Abraham. He used the stars. In Genesis chapter 26, remember, he, he said, look upwards. And he talked about, God says, this is the promise I'm making you to you and your descendants will be more numerous than the stars. And I love that because God keeps his promises. <clears throat> when we look to the sky and we see... I like that, Cindy. When you look at the sky and see the stars, whether you can visibly see them or not, number one, cling to the fact that you know that they're there. Whether you see them or not, that's okay because, well, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. By faith, we know that they're there. Jesus, I know that you're de there with me. I'm going to continue walking forward. So I hope that's an encouragement. It sure was an encouragement to me, Cindy. Thank you for sharing 
your dream and your insight. What an encouragement. Uh, okay, well, let's go on to our questions that have been submitted. The next one's from Matthew. What is the meaning behind 1 Corinthians one nineteen? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Great question. And so, uh, Matthew, this quote from 1 Corinthians 19 is actually Paul quoting Isaiah. He's actually quoting Isaiah 29 and Second and, uh, Kings. And what he's pointing to, uh, Paul is pointing to Israel as an example of why we do not put our trust in the wisdom of man. Now, big picture here. And this is what Paul was dealing with in Corinth. There in this metropolis city, there was this Greek culture of worshiping the mind of man, less so than Athens. Athens was worse. But in this carnal city of Corinth, there was this um, abundance of human wisdom, human intelligence. And this is what they looked up to. This is what they adored. And God said to Judah back in Isaiah 29 in 2 Kings chapter 19, 18, 19, that this wisdom or this intelligence that you're trying to seek from man, I will destroy it. And so Paul relates it there in 1 Corinthians to the cross, because the verse before this, he's saying that the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. In other words, this message of hope and salvation that mankind has been looking for and waiting for since the beginning of time from the garden, this message that our hearts have been craving for and crying out for the forgiveness of our sin, to some, it's a foolish message. It's a silly fairy tale. It's a, it's a story that they think belongs in kids' books. And, and instead they say, well, instead of trusting in those fairy tales, we trust in the wisdom of the wise. And Paul says, if you look at the cross that way, you're just like Israel. Just like Israel. Because in Isaiah 29, what this human wisdom is what Israel, what they went to. In 2 Kings, remember when Hezekiah was the king of Judah at the time, and Hezekiah was uh, hearing news about uh, Assyria coming down and having conquered Israel already, the, the northern country, now is, uh, Assyria is making its way down to conquer Judah. And so Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sort of panics and he runs to Egypt for help. Think about that. He runs to the world for help. Egypt being a type of the world. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, hears about Israel or Judah going to ask Egypt for help. And he says, what are you doing? Nothing can stop me. You're seeking the wisdom of man. And you know it's going to fail. And why did Hezekiah do this? Because Hezekiah sought counsel from people and uh, people told him this is the wisest thing to do. And Hezekiah was a good king, but this is one of the mistakes that he made. He went to go seek, sought worldly counsel from people, got human wisdom and did what made sense, which is. Let's go ask somebody to team up with us. Even if these are people that don't like us, and even if these are people that are not uh, believers in our God. Because of my circumstance right now, Assyria is, is climbing over the horizon. I'm going to need some help. So Paul 
from First Corinthians, quotes Isaiah 29, quotes Second Kings 19, 18, 19, and says, look, if you think the cross is foolishness and you're appealing and, and, and worshiping the wisdom of man, you're just like Israel. When they went to go and seek the wisdom of man, they were about to get crushed. But Hezekiah cries out to the Lord, and his heart is right. He, he, he repents, and he cries out to God for help. And he realizes he, even with, after asking for help and trying to solve his problems through worldly means, he finally cries out to God, and then God says, okay, now I can help you. And God, while Judah is asleep and the, the armies are asleep, after all the mockery and all of the words from Sennacherib to, 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 to make fun of and belittle the Judean army, while Judah is sleeping, the angel of the Lord swoops down and in an instant destroys the camp of the Assyrians, the surrounding Assyrians, and 185,000 of these Assyrians die instantly. It says in Second Kings 19 that the armies of Judah woke up that morning to see the Assyrians destroyed, completely destroyed. And I love that because it doesn't depend on man's wisdom. It doesn't depend on human intelligence. You know, for me, one of the things that make me, make my heart so thankful to God for is, is what I think back to what I used to do. Not specific sin and not, I'm talking about the mindset that I used to have, the way I used to think, and this is how I used to think. I will do whatever I want. I don't need to follow God. And if I get myself in a bind, I get myself in trouble, I will trust in my ability to figure a way out of it. And I would do that time and time again, thinking that I'm somebody that has some wisdom or intelligence. And the truth is, I was a fool, an absolute fool. And it wasn't until I fell flat on my back that I realized I've got to look upwards. This is when God gets to show off, surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and let him take over. And that's when I realized what this verse, what this verse is talking about. Instead of thinking about the foolishness of Jesus or the foolishness of the cross, realizing this is the grace of God that is giving me the opportunity to have my sins forgiven and a brand new start at life. Now, I love that. I love that because Matthew, when the world laughs at the word of God, when they laugh at the cross, it's because they're perishing. We don't take offense to it. We just remember we too were like them at some point. We pray for them that God would lift the veil from their eyes, that they too would come to a saving faith, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But that's what the wisdom of this world is. And that's why Paul references Israel as an example of somebody or people who have leaned upon the wisdom of man. But really it took a miraculous hand of God to deliver them. Thanks for your question, Matthew. Next question is from Jonah. Is this, oh, wait, is a covenant the same as a promise? If they are different, then is Genesis 12, 2 and 3 a covenant or a promise? Well, let me read Genesis, actually, Genesis chapter 12. This is 
God speaking to Abraham, and this is where we get the, the Abrahamic covenant from. Verse 2, I will make you, God speaking, a, into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, to answer your question, Matthew, the word covenant literally means promise. And so there, the word definition is the same thing. But in the Bible, when we read here in Genesis chapter 12, and, and even the passage, of the, the verse that I referenced earlier in Genesis chapter 26 about uh, Abraham's descendants being numbered as many as the stars, these are promises that God has made to Abraham, and he intends to keep them. So a covenant is a promise, and this particular one you referenced in Genesis chapter 12 is a promise made by God. Now, when we deal with promises, we deal with them all the time in our normal day-to-day interaction. Promises are a normal thing, uh, but they don't mean much if the one who makes the promise isn't trustworthy. Well, this is why when God makes a promise in Genesis chapter 12, it is particularly significant because when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. He is not a liar. So this Abrahamic covenant that God makes to Abraham, a promise that he is going to bless his nation. He's going to make him to a great nation and bless him. He's going to make his name great. And that he's going to bless those who bless him and he will curse those who curse him. God is the one who will protect Israel. And the Abrahamic covenant is something that is will eventually be put back on the front burner. And it will in the time of tribulation, be the focus. God will focus, turn his attention back to Israel. And at the end, he will keep his promise by uh, occupying the territory that God promised to Abraham, by making his descendants um, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And part, part of this has already been fulfilled, but God isn't finished. On a side note, Jonah, this is why we here at Calvary Chapel are dispensational in our theology. What that simply means is that we, we keep a very uh, clear distinction. We maintain a clear distinction between the promises that God made to Israel in the Old Testament and the promises that God made to the church in the New Testament because the two are separate entities. There is obviously some overlap there are some there are some things that that Jesus uses in the New Testament as an illustration of what was told in the Old Testament. But the promises specifically that God made to Abraham and to King David will be fulfilled at a later time because God keeps his promises. And if anybody tells you anything otherwise, then Don't listen to them. Listen to somebody else. Uh, This is one of the fundamental um, guidelines of uh, dispensational theology and how you interpret the Bible when you read it. It just means you read it at face value. And if God says something and he makes a promise, he's going to keep it. We are inside three minutes, so I don't have time to take uh, any more questions um, we're inside two minutes. And so let me make this one real quick here. Anonymous says, what is meant by Paul when he says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life? Well, okay. Well, this is not a real quick one, but I'll give you the quick answer. Anonymous, Second uh, Corinthians cha- chapter 3. Uh, the law, that's the letter, leads to death. That's the whole purpose of the law. So we don't live according to the law. We live according to the Spirit. The Spirit is the opposite. The Spirit gives us life. 
And so we, we allow God to use the law to point us to our sin, to show us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That's what the whole purpose of the law is. And so the law kills, or the letter kills, in the sense that it highlights our sin, because the wages of sin is death. That's what's meant by the letter kills. But the Spirit gives life. Paul here is making a distinction. Because we don't live according to the law, we live by the Spirit. Therefore, the Spirit, the letter that that killed us or that highlights our sin, identifies that we are spiritually dead. Then the Spirit of God says, but I'm here to make you alive. I'm here to give you life. And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So, Anonymous, that's what Paul is talking about there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, one of my favorite passages in the Pauline letters. Well, you can hear the music. That means that the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life is finished. My name is Pastor Ken. I'm filling in for Pastor Ron the rest of this week. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. God bless. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.